0: him. So we hear God's law this morning out of Exodus 20. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And let's also hear the summary of this law. As our Lord Jesus Christ teaches it, uh, himself also quoting from the Old Testament, uh, showing as well that the Ten Commandments apply for all peoples and that the heart of this law is the command to love. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So far, the law of God. Let us respond now by singing together from Psalm 119, the verses 39 and 40. together in prayer and seek God's blessing. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, it is good to gather together as your people this morning and that we can acknowledge your grace and mercy in calling us your people. In calling us your children, having adopted us to be your children and heirs. We acknowledge, Heavenly Father, that this is a gift of your grace, that you are showing this morning again the abounding love and mercy that belongs to you toward us. We thank you, Father. That you have also given us your law. As we sang together, it is an indication, a symbol of your love toward us. That you give us these commandments to guide us and lead us in our lives is, is evidence of your love toward us. For you want us to live in holiness and obedience. And so you direct us. You, you show us the way. You are, your, your law is the lamp and light for our feet so that we may walk in, in your ways and, and in obedience before you. And Father, we also recognize your love in these commandments when they are not only given to us in the positive form, Commanding us what we must do, but also, even in the negative form, teaching us what we should not do. For, Lord, you are concerned with our life of renewal and conversion. So we thank you that we can have your law to to guide us in the dying of our old nature, teaching us what we must not do, showing us what is wrong and evil and and that when we recognize that in ourselves, we will also grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended you by our sin, that we hate evil and flee from it, but that you also teach us in your law the new way, your will in all good works, and and so we can with heartfelt joy uh, through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit live more and more in obedience to you that it is a love and a delight to live according to your will. Lord, fill us with the desires to put away that which does not please you and rather to put on that which glorifies and honors your name, that we may also more and more live sanctified lives. We pray for your Holy Spirit to work in us this true repentance, so that we might also with our whole lives, not only in our worship, but in, in our lives every day, give you the glory and the honor. Father, so bless us this morning as well as we worship you, As we join together in covenant dialogue and communion with you, Lord, our hearts desire to hear your word as well. We pray for the blessing on the preaching of your word, on the exposition of the scriptures. We pray that it may truly bless us that we are seeing the Lord Jesus, that we may know him better, and that we might also be taught how to live for him as our Lord and Master. Father, keep us from sin and distraction, and bless us together with all the saints, wherever they gather this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now will turn to the Holy Scriptures. This morning we are reading together from the Gospel according to Luke. We also take note of the fact that uh, this will also serve as our text for this morning. So Luke 24, verses 13 to 25. Luke 24, verses 13 to 25, serves as our reading, as well as, sorry, 35, as well as our uh, text. And that can be found on page, well, this Bible is probably different than yours. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. So here is God's holy word. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. So far, the reading of God's holy word. In response to this word and also in preparation for the ministry of the word, let us now sing together Psalm 143. We will sing the verses 1, 3, 4, and 5. 1, 3, 4, and 5 of Psalm 143. I mentioned the the uh, text for this morning's sermon is also the reading that we just uh, read uh, Luke 24 verses 13 to 35 Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ As we look to the gospel according to Luke this morning we take note of the fact that his account of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is somewhat unique. Luke, for example, did not know the Lord Jesus personally. He was not even of Jewish origin, but a Gentile converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and a companion of the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. But it is through As he himself indicates at the beginning of this gospel, it is through careful examination, through research and and undoubtedly many conversations of those who knew the Lord Jesus personally that he pieces together the gospel and writes through the power of the Holy Spirit what he calls an orderly account of the events surrounding The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. And so it is interesting that it's he, through his research, that he comes to hear about this very special account of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is is the one who records this story or account of these two disciples who are on their way to Emmaus. Two disciples, that is, of the broader group of the disciples. This is not one, two of the eleven, but two of the, the larger group of those who had followed Jesus. And we note here that they are on their way home to Emmaus. He tells a remarkable story of how, the believers, the followers of the Lord Jesus were responding to his death and even to the reports of his resurrection. And then also he records the reality of that resurrection and finally the hope that it gives to all who believe in him. So you see a real transition in this passage, there, it begins with a lot of despair and despondency, but it ends in joy and hope. And also the, the singing this morning reflects this as well. Uh, we, we just sang together from Psalm 143, a, a somewhat gloomy song, uh, David yearning for God to, to look upon him to give him understanding. And that, that is a sense of, of how the, those two disciples felt as well as they departed from Jerusalem, going to their home in Emmaus. And the Lord is good to us this morning, brothers and sisters, when he shows us through Luke and his research, uh, through the work of the Spirit, how Christ's death, truly is necessary, and that his resurrection is certain, pointing to the central place of faith in the Christian church, thereby also calling us to faith and joy and hope and love and obedience to our Lord. So I preach to you God's word this morning under this theme, on Resurrection Sunday, the risen Savior opens the scriptures to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. So that's how we summarize this message. On Resurrection Sunday, the risen Savior opens the scriptures to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And we'll see that the Savior, first of all, dispels the tragedy of Resurrection Sunday, and then secondly, declares the triumph of Resurrection Sunday. So first, our Savior dispels the tragedy of Resurrection Sunday. These two disciples, who belong to the broader group of disciples, are on their way to Emmaus, we have heard, coming from Jerusalem later on the same day that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead the first day of the week. And as we noted going home, we can say that with a lot of certainty although it doesn't really say that here. Verse 29 for example would seem to indicate that Emmaus is where home is because that's where they find a place. That's where they urge the Lord Jesus to stay with them. Uh, to have food and sleep. It's a, a small village we read, and the English translation has helped us understand what is meant here. It, it, it says in the original 60 stadia, but approximately 7 miles from Jerusalem, and that's, that's going to be a 2-hour walk, given a plus or minus 2 hours, given the speed that a person would walk. But that's basically the time it would take. So these two disciples, of course, have a lot of time to talk about the things that they have been experiencing and what they are pondering on this day. And our passage shows us, Luke shows us, that at first their conversation is not a happy one. They're not talking about good news. What they have observed, ultimately seeing their leader, Jesus Christ, put to death on the cross, has left them in utter despair, it has left them crestfallen, and also bewildered and baffled. They can't fathom everything that has been going on. And we can interpret their going home to indicate giving up to some degree. So bewildered, confused, and despairing that they have a lack of hope. The one on whom they placed their hope was dead. Their hopes are dashed. And one word that would describe this, all their feelings, all their dashed expectations, is the word tragedy. A tragedy in their mind has occurred. They were believers in the Lord. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and they had put their trust in Him as their Savior. But now they're not sure what to believe. Their faith has become small and weak and there is little left in them to hope. They are rather feeling hopeless. And it's important, brothers and sisters, to recognize this state of hopelessness that fills them at this time in the passage. Because it's exactly at that in this state of hopelessness that we read how the Lord Jesus appears. He comes up alongside them. He meets up with these two despairing, confused disciples. And that brings to mind again what we sang in Psalm 143. The the earnest prayer of David that the Lord would would show him light, give him understanding. This is also the desire of these two disciples. And the Lord has seen their plight. He has noticed their desire to understand. And thus we are given here first of all a lesson of the goodness of our Lord. For as His people desire to know truth even in times of great difficulty, even in times of what they see as tragedy. And is that not so, brothers and sisters, that we also can be confused, that we want understanding from the Lord in times of difficulty and tragedy? Well, it's exactly in this time that we see these disciples and followers of the Lord, that their desire finds favor in the sight of the Lord. That he stretches out his hand to them. That he comes alongside them. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's a, a lesson for us. That if there are times, well, I shouldn't say if because it does happen. When there are times that we do not understand something, when we struggle, then let our requests be made known to God because he has promised to answer us. Our text is proof of this. It is indeed in this weak condition, in this failing faith, that the Lord meets up with and comes alongside these two despairing disciples. At what point in the journey they meet, we we don't know. But it, it must have been Significantly towards the beginning, as we, we get a sense that the Lord Jesus has taken a, a considerable time to expound the Old Testament scriptures for these uh, disciples. We also do not know how it is that they do not recognize Jesus. We, we, we can't understand this. All that we can say is that this is God's purpose and intention And thus, it it really says that, specifically, that they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus himself asks the disciples, What are you discussing together as you walk along? Note that he doesn't do this, because he doesn't actually know what they're talking about. No, this is, again, another example of the goodness of our Lord. This is what you would call a leading question. A question that is intended to bring on an explanation and and conversation and and instruction. It reminds me, for example, of the question that God asks Adam and Eve in, in paradise following their sin not that God didn't know where Adam and Eve were. It's not that God didn't know what they had done. But he asked questions out of grace to bring opportunity to repent, to bring opportunity to instruct and teach and and to preach the gospel of grace. This is also what is happening here And so it is in response to Jesus' provoking question that the disciples stop walking. How great is their despair and sadness that such a question causes them to stop completely. They stood still, their faces downcast. They are additionally astonished and shocked that the man... Hasn't heard about what has happened? I prefer the translation here. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? Brothers and sisters, it's a good way to describe the disciples here. These two disciples and their state is that they are simply overwhelmed. They had love their lord Jesus he was in their hearts their master and leader and they saw in him great promise in fact they saw him as the promised messiah and so they explained to Jesus how their expectation that Jesus would reveal himself as the Messiah at at the recent feast, how that had grown and and, and come to to great heights. They thought Jesus was at that time going to assert his Messiahship with power and and deliver the people of Israel from their earthly and spiritual enemies and reveal his glory and, and establish and usher in the Messianic kingdom. But instead... All these terrible events in connection with his arrest and crucifixion had come to pass. And so, in sadness, shock, and disbelief that Jesus himself wouldn't have heard about it, they confess to this man how their own people had handed Jesus over to be sentenced and crucified. And in doing so, they're. They're implicating themselves. Our chief priests and rulers did that. We did that. We put him to death. And so adding to their confusion and experience, something we can relate to when we do things wrong, when we fall into sin, when, when we go away that we know was wrong and God is displeased that we are sometimes confused why we've done this. In the end, brothers and sisters, did not Jesus show weakness? That's what these men thought. That's what sometimes we feel when when we do wrong, when we go the wrong way, that God somehow has let us down. He could have come down from the cross, couldn't he have? Why didn't he then? God could have prevented it. Couldn't he have? Why didn't he then? We understand. These men are thinking. And to add to their confusion, there's a report going around by some of the women closely associated to Jesus and the disciples that they saw a vision of angels that morning, that very morning. And that... And that these angels had said Jesus was alive and the tomb was empty, but him they did not see. So it seems that these two disciples had left the the group of disciples before anyone had actually seen the risen Christ. Although if we compare the Gospels even then, the report that Jesus had risen, that someone had met Jesus, had seen him even then there was disbelief. So these two disciples take their time to explain everything to Jesus and begin to walk again. They are faltering in their hope and fear is well and alive in their hearts. You get a picture from these two disciples of what was going on that Resurrection Sunday in the hearts of Jesus the followers of the crucified one. They were perplexed and baffled, filled with gloom, probably dragging their feet along this way. Maybe even like sometimes we do after a funeral, when all is done and our loved one is gone, buried in the ground, that we begin to go about our daily routines again. again. And it's, it's all speaking of tragedy. Tragedy, on the one hand, for those who did not understand the Old Testament, that pointed to a Messiah who would die and rise again. Not understanding how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, They were rather expecting one who would become a religious and political leader. So that all that took place dashed their hopes. So tragedy for the people, but also on another level a tragedy to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God and an offense to his work and his word. For after all that God and Jesus had done for his children... After all that he taught, after all the word and scripture he had given, he continues to be met with such resistance to him and his written word. The People do not believe in the actual resurrection. Instead, they're saying and spreading stories that the resurrection does not refer to Jesus Christ coming back to life. But that it's all a lie and a ruse. Or they might say it's nothing but a religious rebirth, a a new fervor amongst the disciples that comes to life after several days of gloom. If people were saying this and if people say that today, brothers and sisters, it truly is a tragedy for God but out of love for them and for us all. Jesus Christ teaches these two disciples the truth concerning his death and resurrection and teaches it through the Spirit to all of us today in his word. Christ's intention, in other words, of coming along with these two to bring them to true faith is his intention for all of us with his word He has come and revealed himself in his word to make known that he who died would also come to glory and take all those who are his own also to glory. And so we come to the second point. The Savior declares the triumph of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus Calls them foolish. Not in the scriptural sense, as fool means in one way, as unbelievers, as those who completely reject the Christ and are foolish, who say there is no God, but foolish in the sense of although they are able to understand, are unwilling to. In the same way, they are dragging their feet. They're slow to faith. In mercy, the Lord Jesus will help them to understand. He will help by explaining the scriptures, the written word. And so we read in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus Demonstrating the unity of the Holy Scriptures, and in this case the Old Testament Scriptures. He shows, beginning from Genesis, that's what is referred to by Moses, and ending with the prophets, that he shows how it was necessary and how it was always God's intention that the Promised One, the Messiah, would die and then rise again. Thus, the events that the disciples had experienced in the past days, and especially what they had also heard about in the morning, were in complete harmony with those scriptures. Christ had to die on the cross to bring about the forgiveness of sin. The events fill, fulfill everything that Jesus himself had told them. And so, brothers and sisters, our imaginations run with this uh, explanation in scriptures of what Jesus did there on the way to Emmaus. We wonder what kind of sermon that was that Jesus preached. And we, we love to hear it, what Jesus said that Sunday To to be able to listen to God's and the Lord's perfect exposition of the Old Testament Scriptures. We would love to hear that pristine explanation in which Christ shows perfectly how He is the fulfillment. And how all of the Old Testament points to Him. Well, we can hear this. Message, brothers and sisters. It is given to us. It's given to us in the New Testament. The New Testament truly is the explanation of the Old. It quotes the Old Testament from Matthew to Revelation, always showing how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old. And today, when we hear the preaching whether from the Gospels or the rest of the New Testament, from Luke or from the Old Testament, we may continue to hear what Jesus himself said to the disciples. And the disciples are responding to it. We read in our text how their minds are becoming aroused. And their souls are being prodded and convicted. And they are becoming enthralled with the truth. And so with many more questions, they can learn the wonderful truths of the scriptures. They learn that Jesus was supposed to die. That he was supposed to be buried. That indeed, he was supposed to rise again and conquer death. They learn that Jesus Christ is ending for them the tragedy of the Resurrection Sunday that was shaping up in their minds, they were beginning to realize that there was no need to despair. And it is with that understanding that the Lord in his providence places these two disciples before a decisive moment. But the time has come to turn off that main road upon which they have been traveling and to go into their own village. And the question is what will the disciples do with what they have now heard from the Lord Jesus? What will they do with this knowledge of truth? What, how will they react? Jesus himself brings this decisive moment to great heights when we read that he acts as if he was going further. Literally, he made as if to go further. Which, by the way, brings up a a question for us. Is it possible for Jesus to pretend? Is, Is Jesus here demonstrating falsehood? But we don't have to... To worry about this question. We don't have to bring up Jesus' actions here, but we have to rather see the purpose of what he is doing and ask ourselves an important question that has a bearing on this entire episode. Why did the Lord Jesus keep himself hidden from them all this time? And it is because, brothers and sisters, The Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to be led and moved to faith in Christ, in his resurrection, on the basis of the testimony of the scriptures. So it would not be the visible sign or the visible miracle that would lead to faith, but it was the word which was for Jesus the most important tool of instruction. He would use the means of the spoken word in order to move his disciples and followers to faith. And so while kept from seeing him, all the focus fell on hearing him. Hearing the word of God. It is the word that must enter their hearts. They must believe the message of the scriptures. And the disciples would not recognize him. In other words, the visible miracle, the visible signs would be of no help and benefit unless they first believed the written word of God. And so it is that Jesus and God, by their providence, by their actions, also placed the disciples at that important, decisive moment. Do they believe the scriptures? And we read that they urged him strongly. Now, that's a word or words that imply great forcefulness. You can almost imagine them holding on to his arm and and directing him towards Emmaus. Stay with us, they say, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And while that is true, and that their concern is for the safety of the Lord Jesus, this this visitor to Jerusalem, that it wouldn't be safe for him in the dark, but the real reason And where that urging and that strong forcefulness comes into play, the real reason is they want to hear more. And it's for that reason that Jesus will come in and stay with them because the disciples believe. It is the faith that has been prepared and is ready for increased revelation. They believe the Scriptures. And so their hearts, we read later, are burning within them on the road. That, brothers and sisters, is the effect of the teaching of the Christ in the Scriptures. Hearts warming to the truth, yea, burning with the truth. The light of the Gospel glowing brightly. It's only... When Christ sees that, which is faith, does he show his disciples his glory? And when they see it, he disappears. And that would also draw our attention, doesn't it? He disappeared from their sight. But now look, what is it that has the attention of these two disciples After Jesus' disappearance, it's not that he disappeared, but it is, it's not what he looked like, it's not what he wore, but it is the word that he was speaking on the way. And so we see, beloved, the triumph of Resurrection Sunday God's triumph for his people. The disciples through the power of the Spirit-working faith, recognize the work of Jesus Christ and come to the full knowledge of the truth. They see that Christ has been triumphant over death and sin. That is, they see with the eyes of faith. The Holy Spirit works a miracle in their hearts, bringing faith and understanding. The biggest veil removed for them is not the one... That hid his physical appearance from them. But the one that prevented them from understanding the Holy Scriptures. And how they rejoice when he removes that veil from them. Brothers and sisters, how much more should we rejoice? For how much more scripture do we have than these disciples from Emmaus? As always, God and and now in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is seeking to open our hearts to his word. But be aware that in the covenant of grace a responsibility rests with us as well. As we are Brought the Word of God as we are taught the Christ from the Scriptures. The question, the decisive question remains for us are we willing to receive Him and His Word into our hearts? How much does it mean to us, in other words, we who have much more? The complete Scriptures have been given to us today. The risen Lord has gone forward, he has even ascended into heaven. And he feeds his flock with his word day by day. God calls us to open the doors of our hearts to the word of Jesus Christ and we shall have hope. And by God's grace and his electing love, we shall Time to conclude. In our passage today, we see that the day of Christ's resurrection is truly a day of hope for the two disciples who lived in Emmaus, for the whole group of disciples, including the eleven, and also for the church of the New Testament age. Jesus Christ has risen indeed. The scriptures have been fulfilled exactly as God has planned. The seed of the woman has crushed the head of the serpent through the bruising of his heel. He has conquered death. He has conquered Satan. He has conquered the grave. And thereby he has redeemed Israel. Not the physical Israel, but the spiritual Israel. Beloved, the Lord Jesus truly is our hope. Our only hope. And it's a blessing when every Sunday again the Lord Jesus by His Word comes alongside us and we have that Word expounded to us. We have that blessed hope presented to us again and again that we may hear And see with the eyes of faith the risen Christ. And may it be so that when that happens. That our hearts will be burning within us. And that it will lead us. As we go from here from week to week. Lead us to a life which will be truly on fire. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our responsive song is Hymn 19. We will sing together verses 1, 3, and 4. The people who in darkness walked have seen a glorious light. Now day has dawned for those who dwelt in death, surrounding night. It's Hymn 19. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4, standing to sing. Stepfather has passed away. Also, we remember uh, Hank and Deanie Wendt, who celebrate their 56th wedding anniversary this week. And birthdays to remember are of Jane Beistervelt and Rosalie Wiesbrook, who celebrate their birthdays. Uh, Rosalie's birthday is today, so we give thanks for that. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we join together in thanksgiving prayer. We join together in joy and acknowledge the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it is a hope that can lead us and be our guide and and comfort and encourage us every day of our lives. Also, when we come through difficulties and, and times that are hard to grasp and understand, that we can find comfort and encouragement with your word. And Father, we rejoice to know as well that you do that through the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit, that you do that, for example, today that today as we come together, you join us, you walk alongside us today and also every day with your word. And you teach us your word and expound that word to us and explain it to us by your Holy Spirit through the proclamation of your word and, and through the reading of your word and the study of your word every day of the week. Father, how good you are may we truly know that you are coming alongside us every day of our lives. Just as you came beside the disciples, we too can know and, and experience by faith your presence and your spirit to lead us. What a joy, Lord, that gives us. What a hope to know that Christ is risen and that he is also ascended that he rules over all things, and that he is coming again in glory. Father, may we walk then in the light of your word, in the light of the Holy Scriptures, that we may know how to live and walk all our days. Father, we thank you for that, and for that hope as we also join in together in, in remembering and sojourning together with our brothers and sisters in the Lord who go through experiences, whether sad or joyful, and that we too can comfort them and encourage them and and come alongside them also with the hope of Jesus Christ in your word, that we can comfort Phoebe in these days, that we may also remind her of the hope she has in the Lord Jesus Christ and that this broken world will one day come to an end in which she and all your people can celebrate the glory of your just and holy name. We thank you, Father, that you are our hope from day to day in our married lives, that you can bless us and provide for us every day in our marriages, that we can turn to your word for strength and encouragement in times when they are tough, in times when we need direction and and care and counsel. So we thank you also for Hank and Deanie Wendt, who can celebrate their wedding anniversary on Wednesday. We thank you that you have provided for them in their marriage and continue, Lord, to, to be with them in, in the days and months and years ahead as long as you grant them this time together. Continue to provide good health. And Father, we thank you also for those who, who celebrate birthdays, especially in uh, older age. We we thank you for for Jane Beisterfeld, for Rosalie Beesbrook who can celebrate their birthdays. Lord, Thank you for what you have provided to them. Thank you for strength also in the loneliness of old age. Thank you for surrounding them with brothers and sisters in the Lord and loving family. We pray that you will bless them in the days, months, and years ahead. Father, we ask you for your blessing upon our worship, that it may all have been to your glory. We also remember our offerings of this day. As we seek, Lord, to extend the hand of mercy and care through our gifts of this day, may it truly have been a reflection of of your love and mercy uh, through Jesus Christ, and that we may show the love of the Savior every day and also by this gift. We pray also for this day that we may have a good day of fellowship together, a day of encouragement and. Strength. This we pray in Christ's name only. Amen. As closing song for our worship, as we come to the end, we sing together hymn 80, the verses 1, 5, and 6. Hymn 80, 1, 5, and 6 is our closing song. And let us stand together. the Holy Spirit is with you all.